Well, good morning. It is a delight to be with you that we get to open God's word together for the transformation of our lives. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I love Christmas songs. I love Christmas songs. And, I, and actually, just to confess to you all, the previous song that we just sang is literally like my top favorite song. And it's my favorite song. This has nothing to do with my sermon, by the way. This is all free. It's my, it's my favorite song because we're, we're singing about the coming of Jesus, right? This star that's leading us, this star of wonder. And, and, um, and yet in the verses, it talks about, if you go through all the verses of this song, it talks about each of the gifts that are given to the Christ child, right? But what they weave in with it is like the story of the gospel. So I'm not sure if you guys were like, huh, myrrh, it's mine, it's bitter perfume. What's, what? I've never sung this verse before. And it's like, sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying. This is Christmas? Sealed in the stone cold tomb. And the very next verse is what? Behold him now. Uh, I just got it wrong. Behold him now, behold him arise or something like that. King and God in sacrifice. Like I love that the, the story of the gospel is, is part of, of what we sing about in Christmas. So that's all for free. Man, I praise team, thank you so much for all the work that you guys are doing. It may not look like it, but when I was younger, uh, I had uh, serious issues with authority. Um, in fact, actually, uh, I know you guys are like, yeah. Uh, when I was younger, the, uh, a belt was a picture of tyranny to me. It was a symbol of this cruel oppressive governmental rule over my, over my life known as the school dress code. And part of that dress code was that if there were loops on the pants, a belt was required. And then not just a belt, but then the right color matching shoes to go with it. I know, right? Tyranny. Tyranny. Pure oppressive rule. Uh, rules, rules, rules. And so by the time I, I graduated from this classical academy, I was happy with belts, actually, because it was the 90s, and every guy needed belts to keep up their super baggy pants that we wore that were like five sizes too big. Well, our passage this morning gives a wonderful reason uh, why belts shouldn't be seen as a, as a symbol of oppression, but actually as a symbol of hope. In our passage, we see a belt of righteousness and a belt of faithfulness around this future king that is a glorious sign of anything, of better than anything that we've ever had here on earth. And so I wonder, when you either put on a belt or decided not to put on a belt this morning, or when you picture a belt, I wonder if you see it as tyrannical or as hope-giving, because I don't think there's anything in between. Uh, maybe Isaiah 11 will give us insight for the life-giving hope that even a belt is. And so we're pausing from our series in the Gospel of Mark, uh, which we'll get back to uh, next fall, and we're, we're shifting gears for a little bit to Advent, 
which is the time when Christians anticipate the celebration of Jesus being born, right? So Advent series is, Advent season is not Christmas season. Christmas begins on Christmas Day, <clears throat> but all that comes before that is the preparation for that. Hey, Dave, my throat is super dry. Could you grab me your water, man? Thank you. And so we are spending three weeks in the book of Isaiah, which, interestingly enough, has more um, prophecies and references to the, Messiah, to the Messiah than any other book in the Old Testament. Some people call the, the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel. Man, thank you very much. And so for the next three weeks, we are going to be focusing in Isaiah 11, which gives insight into why the birth of Jesus is so important for us. Let me pray for our time, and then we will jump in there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look to your word in Isaiah chapter 11, that we would do so and, and in a way that, that helps us see the, the glorious, hope-giving reality of Jesus coming to earth. That, Father, we would connect the birth of Jesus with what it means for his forever reign and our lives even today. So, God, give us insight through your spirit in your word in Isaiah 11, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you don't have a Bible with you, that is okay. Uh, inside your sermon notes, we have the entire chapter of Isaiah 11. Uh, and so because we're going to be in it for three weeks, we're going to read the whole chapter, but we're only going to be focusing on a little bit of the section each week so you can see the entire context of what's happening. Here's what Isaiah writes, beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah 11. There shall come from or there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he, his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord 
will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart. And those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall be they shall put their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. If you are immediately thinking, what on earth does this have to do with Christmas? That's okay, Austin said the same thing to me last week. Uh, uh, here, here's the big idea. This is, this is why I give big ideas, is because I, I want us to have handlebars of, of where we're going. We can hold on to this and say, okay, what do I do with Isaiah 11? Here's the big idea that we're gonna be looking at in verses one to five this morning. Okay, here's, here's Isaiah's big idea. Prepare your lives and hearts for God's righteous king to return with wisdom, power, and hope. If you get that, you're going to be in a great place. If you remember nothing else about this sermon, this is what we want you to get. Prepare your lives and hearts for God's righteous king to return with wisdom, power, and hope. And we're going to kind of break this up even though it's just the first five verses, we're going to break it up kind of in three different ways. And the first one is a surprising hope, right? We live in an in a age where there are major problems. I speak with people every single day who are afraid from the coronavirus to things involving in the election to things that we've seen in our country in the past few years to different elected officials, to stock market issues, to foreign countries influencing media and elections. The list could go on and on. And one of the very next things that comes out of that said in these conversations is this, when is it all going to end? And so if you feel any level of stress from the way that the world is changing these days, well, I think you can actually relate pretty well to the book of Isaiah. The nation of, of Israel was in a really bad place when Isaiah is writing this. They had a civil war. They broke into two countries, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Our passage in Isaiah 11 is, is really introduces, uh, as we lead up to it, all of Isaiah introduces us to what's happening in Isaiah 11. In Isaiah 1, we, we meet the people of Judah and Jerusalem, and, and the Bible describes them as the Lord's rebellious children. In fact, they are so estranged, they hardly know him anymore. They have given themselves over to corruption. They had spurned the Lord. They had turned their, turned their backs on him, and they resisted every attempt 
that God had made to bring them back. In fact, Isaiah 3, 8 says this, For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. Right? These are the people of God, the special people of God that, that God chose in the Old Testament, and, and yet that's how it's described in Isaiah 3. Or think of Isaiah 5, Verse 7, it says this, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So this is bad because God is the best thing that's ever happened to Israel. Israel describes God as the, or Isaiah 1 describes God as the Holy One of Israel. It's the Holy One who has been spurned by the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And God had sent warning after warning and calling them to return to God. Think uh, for a moment of a boy who gets new white shoes and his mother warns him not to jump into a mud puddle or else he's going to get into trouble. And so that boy, as he's on his way home from school the next day, he sees the most wonderful of puddles to jump in. And so he does. He gets home and his mother and father warn him again, don't do it so he doesn't ruin his brand new shoes that his parents just bought. And the next day it rains and the puddle gets even bigger and it's better to jump in. And so the boy jumps in the puddle again and comes home. And this time, his parents send him to his room and take away his new shoes. And he's so upset that he sits on his bed crying that he lost his new shoes. His parents warned him about the consequences of disobeying. See, if you understand that, then you understand the situation with Israel and Judah and God. So God had sent Isaiah, a prophet, in the 8th century to warn God's people of a judgment for their rebellion and to proclaim a future salvation that was to come. So prophets, so if you don't know much about prophets of the Old Testament, prophets were like mouthpieces of God. He, that's how God would proclaim his word to others. And so oftentimes the prophets were urging the people of God to live by God's covenant, reminding them of all the blessing that followed in obedience, and also reminding them of the curses that followed in disobedience. So the people of God were complacent and they didn't take the warning seriously. That's kind of what Isaiah 8 through 10 are all about. Judah had a king. His name was King Ahaz at the time of, uh, that Isaiah was written. And he is described as just a worthless, faithless king. The southern kingdom of Judah would soon be taken over by the Babylonians and, 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 and decimated. But this doesn't seem too surprising since God's people had been so unfaithful to God. But a surprising hope in the midst of civil war, in the midst of a faithless king. King Ahaz, we'll get more to this later. King Ahaz was such a bad king that in 2 Kings 16, it describes him as doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Evil to the extent that he put his own son on fire as a sacrifice to a foreign god. Okay, this, this guy was not good, and Israel was hopeless in what was going on. 
But it's in, this, it's in this context that this surprising hope comes when it seems all hope had been lost. God was not done gathering a people for himself, and so God would send a Messiah to bring the people back to him, but he would be in the midst of this hopelessness. So this Messiah, this Savior, is who we read about in Isaiah chapter 11, in the coming of Jesus the Christ. And so we're introduced to him in Isaiah 9, but we learn much more about him in Isaiah 11. Isaiah already said that this child will be born, a son will be given, and on his shoulders the government would be as a comfort for the people of God in times of trouble. That's what Isaiah 9 is about. But we see the surprising work of God further in Isaiah 11, verse 1. A shoot will come from the stump. Right, A shoot refers to, to a new plant growth, whether it's a stem or a leaf or even a flower. But what's surprising is that it's coming from a stump, a tree that's been cut down. The context and condition of Israel when Christ was born is a really good description of a dead tree stump. Israel had been without a royal power for nearly 600 years. They were far from God. But when all hope was lost, when the last flicker of light was gone, God brings forth this shoot from a dead tree stump from Jesse, David, King David's father. The tree of the Davidic dynasty had fallen, but God said that it hadn't been finished yet. This shoot, this Messiah, will become a branch and will produce fruit, and the coming of the Messiah would create God's people once again to be in relationship with God. The Messiah would be the leader from which all of God's people would derive from and they would all grow. Uh, and I know that sounds cliche, but, but God really does work in mysterious ways. No one was expecting God to use a dead stump of David's lineage to be the source of hope for the world. A shoot from a chopped down tree? That is a surprise which has two implications for us. Don't limit what God has planned because you don't know what God has planned. We should be faithful to what God calls us to do and to trust God with the outcome, even if it doesn't look like you should, or even if it doesn't look like it's going to do any good. In fact, it's not right for us to assume to know the plans of God beyond what he has revealed to us in Scripture. And beyond that, we're called to exercise trust. So do you, in fact, trust your children, trust your financial future, trust your career or your marriage or your life to the unknown plans of God? How do we even begin to know? Well, I think evidence that we trust the unknown plans of God over our lives is when we make him and not our career and not our family and not our finances and not our marriage, but we make pursuing God and serving God our highest priority of our lives. If we trust God, we can serve him and trust that he will work out all that we need to continue to live for him. It's when we say, I trust God with my grades, 
but I'm going to cheat to get an A that shows that we don't trust God if we don't do it the way that God has prescribed. See, God is called to be first, everything else a distant second. The other implication of God who works in mysterious ways is that as long as we have breath in our lungs, it's not too late to know his mercy and forgiveness through Jesus because God isn't finished bringing a people to himself. And so because you and I don't know the mysterious plans of God, we should not think it's too late to know God's love and mercy as long as we have breath and as long as Christ hasn't come again yet. In fact, what a great Christmas this would be if for the first time you knew God's mercy in the Savior that he sent to come and rescue the world. So don't discount the mysterious plans of God. If he brought a shoot from a dead tree stump, he's not done with you either. And because of God's promises to David, through th- though, th- though they are surprising, God designed that David's dynasty would have a central place of hope for God to be at the work of our lives. This Messiah would be a king unlike any of the kings of Israel. It's not a royal birth line alone that fits the Messiah for his kingly office. Uh, To be a perfect king, we see that he needs the Spirit of God. The Messiah had it. God's Spirit would rest upon him. Verse 2 of Isaiah 11 says, He is fit to rule because of the Spirit of God. Notice how the Spirit of God would make him fit to lead and to reign. The Spirit of God, in verse 2, would give him wisdom and understanding for Messiah's government. The Spirit of God, in verse 2, would give counsel and power for war that he would make, in verse 4. The Spirit of God, in verse 2, would give knowledge and fear of the Lord for a spiritual leadership tied to our Father who's in heaven. So his delight, in verse 3, is in the fear of the Lord which implies a close relationship with God, the Spirit of God fits him, makes him able to rule and reign as we need. So the hope for humanity to be with God has come in a surprising way, a shoot from a dead dynasty to a coming king where the Spirit of God rests upon him and he is fit to reign. This is describing the incarnation. This is describing Christmas that we celebrate. The coming of Jesus. The the very thing that we celebrate every December. We need to prepare our lives and our hearts for God's righteous king to return with wisdom and power and hope. Let's look at this next section, the the second part of verse 3 and verse 4 together. It says this, He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So we see that he's actually a just ruler. Not only do we see the Messiah is fit to reign, We also see the character with how this Messiah is going to reign as king. Now the thing about the Messiah 
is that Christians don't just think about the incarnation, right? God in the flesh with us, uh, the birth of Jesus. Christians don't think of the birth of Jesus apart from two other really important parts of what's going on. Whenever we think about the coming of Jesus, we also think about what he came to do, which was to die on the cross and be raised from the dead. So whenever we think about Christmas, we also are to think about the cross and the tomb. But in addition to that, we know that because Jesus didn't stay dead, Christians don't just think about Christmas in light of the cross. Christians also think about Christmas in light of the cross in light of Jesus promising to return again. His second advent is what we are called to be ready for. Even as we celebrate the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, we do so knowing that he has yet to return again and to reign over all the earth. And when he reigns, when he returns to reign, Isaiah shows us how he's going to reign over the earth. The Spirit of God is to make uh, this king the guide and the guardian and the example for all of the world. The Messiah will judge and set everything right into place. Now, this righteous ruler doesn't simply reign in the area of Jerusalem. In, in verse 4, it talks about how he will bring equity for the meek of the earth. So his reign is going to be over Israel, but also over the entire world. This is a new global government that's going to happen. And that should be really encouraging to us. One of my favorite TV shows is Friday Night Lights. Uh, I can't get enough of it. And there's a particular episode, it's about football, but it's more about football. Uh, and there's this particular episode where the, the principal of this high school where football reigns as king, uh, they want to get this jumbotron, okay, this new big screen for the football team. And she's like, we don't even have enough money for books for all of our students. And so there's this big struggle and, and Tammy Taylor is not fighting a fair fight because uh, the Jumbotron is decided over a golf game, not over whether the students need education or not. And so she, she says in this, in this episode of Friday Night Lights that she's not fighting a fair fight. She wants the education of the students, but the decision for, for where they get to spend this $50,000 isn't on her. Well, oftentimes... Corrupt courts and judges feel like the height of hopelessness, right? Not having a fair trial or expecting a fair verdict is heartbreaking. Who someone plays golf with shouldn't determine what is right or just or fair. And so this righteous ruler that we read about in Isaiah 11, this Messiah who will have a global reign over the earth, this righteous ruler won't decide what is right by his eyes or his, or his ears that can easily be deceived in obtaining information. This future king will have a supernatural perception beyond our usual, any usual source. He will judge with righteousness, it says, which means he will never make a wrong judgment, but his judgments will always be right. Can you just imagine the day when we don't have to have voting ballot disputes? Oh, for the day when your bank account doesn't decide who wins the day in court. 
Oh, for the day when no judge is biased, but always makes the right and just decisions. Where there is corruption in the court of law, it is the poor who long for a righteous judge. And we will have it when our Messiah reigns. We will have it perfectly because he won't judge on what he hears or what he sees, but with righteousness he will judge the world. And so what we see is that injustice dies when our Messiah reigns. Has something happened in your life where you feel like you just got the short end of the stick? Was justice or resolution withheld from you when it should have been freely given? All of our longings for justice and for fairness find fulfillment in the righteous reign of the Messiah. And so if you're struggling right now with injustice happening to you, You can know that injustice isn't the final verdict. We can continue to long for the day when Christ will make all things right. Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8, help us in those moments when we've been wronged. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall but we rise and stand upright. So those of you who are feeling injustice, who are feeling as if you just can't catch a break or even get what is fair, continue to wait upon God's timing for all wrongs to be made right because we have a promise that they will. Right here in Isaiah 11. Our hope, in human rulers who have wickedness and faithfulness, they're false hopes. They don't bring the values of the kingdom of God. It is only the one with the spirit of God who brings the peace that we all long for here on earth. And so to put our hope in any earthly government or any earthly king or elected official is to actually have our hope misplaced. The justice we long for and the righteousness that is needed to lead comes in the power of God, in the wisdom of God, in the counsel of God, all from the Spirit of God in the kingdom of God that we are longing for to come. Injustice dies when our Messiah reigns. So part of being a righteous ruler also means that he's dispelling wickedness from the land. That's exactly what Isaiah describes the Messiah to do in verse 4. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Our Messiah is no longer a babe in a manger. He is the conquering king who is coming to reign, and wickedness has its days numbered. And what tool? Does this messianic king use to judge the whole earth? Well, in verse 4, it's his words. It's the very word of God. Notice how in verse 4, how it's the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips that expel wickedness from the earth. So Jesus doesn't just have tough words. He will also execute the tough words that he says. 
He isn't all talk and no action. This king is talk and action that results in justice. And the power of his word shows that he's no mere mortal, but he is sent from God. And so a word to us. If we find ourselves, if, if we do an introspection of our hearts and we say, you know what? I don't think I'm on the side of the Messiah. I don't think I'm on the side of Jesus. Well, then the call for us today is to repent because the righteous ruler brings judgment against the wicked. If we are people who've rejected the Messiah, then we have, re- we have rejected Jesus by not submitting to him. The call upon our lives is to turn from that wickedness and to turn to Jesus for forgiveness and reconciliation. For there will be righteousness that reigns, and so wickedness must be repelled and defeated. And so on that day, we don't want to be found fighting against the reigning king. We want to be found following, trusting, and living for his eternal kingdom. And so Christmas is a time of new beginnings, and we can find the newest of beginnings by putting off our rebellion against God and placing our trust in the Messiah to come who who promises to rescue the lost, but also to judge the wicked. And so the call for us is to prepare our lives and to prepare our hearts for God's righteous king to return with wisdom and power and hope. But what about this last part? Verse 5 this righteous and faithful ruler, right? The Messiah is not making a fashion statement with his two belts, the belt of righteousness and the the belt of faithfulness. Uh, They just describe his readiness to reign over the earth. Imagine uh, an overzealous soldier who's fired up, ready to charge into battle, but without his belt, and then consequently without a weapon, The belt for a warrior at that time was to hold the weapon, but also to gather all the loose garments together. And so these pictures of these belts is a picture of the king's readiness to reign. And the very tools that this surprising descendant of Jesse that he will reign over us with are righteousness and faithfulness. The two things that we need. Picture a king who makes all the right decisions, always with the perfect perspective. Picture a king who is faithful, not to himself, but to his people, always to do what is best for them, never taking a bribe, never perverting justice. That is the king God has sent to earth. First as a baby, who then died to rescue the lost, who defeated death, by being raised from the dead on the third day, who has gone to heaven to prepare a place for us and promises to return again to ultimately and finally reign as the king over all the earth, the very king that we long for and need. And so the original recipients of this news, of this future hopeful leader, were under King Ahaz who was not the who's who of the kings of Judah. He was faithless. He didn't lead his people. He didn't lead God's people into righteousness. 
2 Kings 16 describes King Ahaz as doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He burned his own son to death as a sacrifice for a false god, which was a despicable practice that the nations uh, that, that were in the promised land that God drove out. And so a leader who then burns his son to death is not the leader for God's people, but the coming king, the forever king, God's Messiah, who we know to be Jesus the Christ, will reign with righteousness as his belt of his waist and faithfulness as the belt of his loins. So our hope in rulers who are wicked and are faithless are false hopes. The forever king of God, the one who reigns in righteousness, doesn't ask for others to die in his standing, but instead willingly died in our place. This righteous king was willing to die in our place for us to have a place in God's family. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for our sin, and in Jesus' death on the cross, atonement for sin was made. Atonement was provided by God for us. And it's only in Jesus, our forever king, where our hope is never a false hope. And so better than a political party or a specific person to lead, Jesus holds better hope. And so if your hope for us as a nation lies in a political party, you might have misplaced hope. If your hope is a particular person who's not in the White House, then you might have a misplaced hope. The hope for any nation and for every person is only the hope that we place in God's righteous king who is ready with righteousness and faithfulness. He is the one who promises that wickedness will end. He is the one who promises that injustice will not have the final say. He is the one who brings justice and righteousness and faithfulness as he reigns by the Spirit of God over the entire world. And so when we think about Christmas and the coming of Jesus as a baby, we also recognize what he is coming to do ultimately. He's not here to stay a baby. He's not even here only to die, but he came as a baby. He died in our place. He rose from the dead and promises a glorious return where all things will be made right. That's what we long for in Christmas. That's what we hope for. We hope for a day. We pray for the Lord to come quickly because we say, how much worse is it going to get? When is this going to end? And there is a day when it will end, and it's when Christ reigns. That's the promise of Christmas. That's the promise of God, is that he will reign over the earth, and there will be a day when there is no more sickness or wickedness or evil or mourning or sorrowing or sighing or dying. There is a day coming when there is life, and it is glorious because it's going to be found in him. That is the righteous branch. That is the shoot, the surprising shoot from the stump of Jesse that we long for and expectantly await to come this Christmas. Let us place our hope in him. Let's prepare our lives and our hearts 
for God's righteous king to return with wisdom and power and hope because he is the ruler that we want. He's the ruler that we need. So Jesus wearing two belts, one of righteousness and one of faithfulness, is filled with hope, not tyranny, but filled with hope because righteousness and faithfulness are the two things that no leader on earth has. Jesus' belts are pictures of hopes, not pictures of tyranny. Every issue we ever have with our leaders will come to an end when the Messiah reigns over the earth in righteousness and faithfulness. And so let every heart, as the Christmas song goes, prepare him room because his arrival is of great joy. Let's spend a few moments We're all called to respond to God, not to be hearers of God's word, but to be doers of it as well. And so let's spend a few moments right where we are and and silently and individually asking God, what does it look like for me to respond in faith to the coming Messiah? And then I'll close this in prayer and then we will with joy as a body get to take the Lord's Supper this morning. But let's respond to God's word. Heavenly Father, we read your word and it almost sounds too good to be true. A leader who we don't have to be uh, angry about. A leader who, who takes no bribe, who is, is, does not pervert justice in any way. A ruler, a king over the entire earth who is always faithful and righteous and has the Spirit of God indwelling him. God, such a, such a reality seems so far from our present experience that we don't even know what that would feel like or the joy that would be had when Jesus reigns over the earth. And yet, God, we long for that day. We pray that that day would happen. We pray that Christ would come quickly and that his reign would come quickly over the entire earth. And God, we pray that we would put our hope only in Jesus, not in in misplaced hopes. And so God, help us to see with clear eyes. Help us to to see and, and fully put our trust in Jesus where there is never a false hope there. God, thank you for the promise that even as Jesus came as a baby, he will return as a glorious king. So God, prepare us and make us ready for his return. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, part of what we do here as a church body 
is every single month as a body together, we take the Lord's Supper. And so uh, the, the band will play as we pass out the elements here in a moment. But uh, we want to, to recognize that this is an important part of what we do as a church body. Because this morning we have thought about the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus coming to earth. We have thought about his glorious death and resurrection. We have thought about his imminent return. We have sung about those very things in the gospel. We have read about it, and and now we are going to see a visible picture reminding us of this glorious hope. It's an important part of what we do here at Friendship Baptist Church because it's a picture that reminds us of the gospel. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 about this very thing. He says this, for, I, for what I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats of the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of Israel of the Lord. Let a person examine that our coming king is not dead, he is alive. He has gone to prepare a place for us and will return as the conquering king that will usher in peace and justice and righteousness. What a faithful king we have. Hear now our benediction from 2 Corinthians 13. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Enjoy the rest of your Lord's Day. Have a great day.